Welcome to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. I'm Gabby. And I'm Sarah. And we are two physical therapy students on our journey to get that DPT debt free. And our vision for you is to get through PT school on your first try without any debt. Join us as we navigate through the insanity of physical therapy school together. Looking for a gift for a friend, classmate, professor, co-host of a podcast, or really anyone? Physio Memes got your back with apparel, drinkware, and home decor. And if you go to physiomemes.com, you can get a 20% off coupon with the code gratitude, spelled G-R-A-D-I-T-U-D-E-2020. And don't forget to check out his social media for a good study break laugh. As always, make life humorous. Welcome to another episode of Gratitude, everyone. And for today, we have a very special guest on. Josh Funk is here on the podcast, and we are so excited for this episode. So thank you so much for joining us. Hey, everybody. Uh, Just happy to be here today and hope everybody has a great start to the new year. Yes, absolutely love it. So if you want to tell the listeners about your PT journey, and kind of take us through your um, your whole journey from the beginning. Yeah, so um, just grew up in a very, very uh, active household, played a ton of different sports growing, growing up. Um, also grew up in a bigger household. I have four brothers and sisters. So between the activity and the big emphasis on communication, um, I feel like I was always just kind of set up for some kind of a profession when it came to the health and fitness world. Um, and it took an injury in college to show me what physical therapy was, to be honest, because before my sophomore year of college, um, I played lacrosse at Ohio State and had a shoulder injury. Uh, I really didn't know a whole lot about PT. My initial physician had told me that I would probably need surgery at the end of the season for a torn labrum and torn rotator cuff. But what had happened over the course of the season was my shoulder actually was improving a lot. And it wasn't bothering me during day-to-day activities. It would only bother me when I was shooting a lacrosse ball or initiating contact with somebody else. So very, very high-level tasks. And I think everybody hears the the surgery word, and there's uh, some level of apprehension there. So uh, I came home, I got a second opinion, and was fortunate to uh, interact with a doctor that believed in much more conservative measures. And he had said to me, hey, look, I've seen a lot of shoulders and, you know, your MRI doesn't look that bad. I've seen people that are in this similar situation and they typically do really well with physical therapy. So just finally gave it a go and allowed my shoulder to rest a little bit and was able to fully invest in PT instead of doing PT just to kind of get through practices and get through games. And by the end of the summer, my shoulder has been as good as it is today. I've never had any problems with it. Uh, I think we're all aware at this point that uh, structurally, I'm, I'm sure my shoulder does not look perfect on imaging, but was able to put it in a uh, place where I was able to do all high-level movements that I've asked of myself, uh, asked of myself and anything from now to throwing a football to throwing a lacrosse ball to doing some kind of overhead lifts but 
um, really making that shoulder, uh, it, you know, into a, an afterthought. So taking something extremely negative and, and physical therapy made something that I love uh, extremely positive, uh, not forcing me to be sidelined. And then I think when I was going through that rehabilitation process and seeing what PT uh, and the athletic training and the medical, the, the, just the synergy that I had in a Division I sports setting, uh, and not really seeing that a whole lot when you talk about the PT marketplace. Um, I think I always had it in my mind that I was going to eventually open up my, my own business. So um, about three years after working for other private practice owners, uh, I opened up Rehab to Perform in December of 2014. And we currently uh, just opened up our fourth location eight days ago in Bethesda, Maryland. We also have locations in Frederick, Mount Airy, and Germantown, which is right outside of Washington, D.C. So that was kind of my uh, foray, not only into the profession of physical therapy, but also, uh, you know, into the business world. That's pretty awesome. And what, just out of curiosity, this is kind of a side note, but what was your degree in undergrad when you were playing lacrosse and you were at OSU? Yeah, I, I tried to do... Well, I did biology first because I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon, which is kind of ironic considering the fact that I didn't want to get surgery and didn't end up getting surgery. Um, so an orthopedic surgeon, physician assistant, or, you know, eventually it became a, a, a PT. And I mean, I, I shadowed uh, a physician during a summer. I shadowed a PT during a summer. Uh, I, I took, spent a little bit of time with, with an ortho on one of my breaks. So uh, eventually recognizing that because I had chosen physical therapy, that I didn't need to deep dive down to the organic chemistries, or I should say all the organic chemistries, because I still took some, um, and biochem and just some of the other coursework that was, was in the bio major. Uh, and I transitioned to a, a health sciences, health and wellness concentration. It allowed me to hit the majority of my prereqs. And it gave me just enough flexibility to make sure that I hit a couple of the others. But I was unable to take kinesiology at Ohio State because our practices were in the morning. Uh, we had practice every day at about 7.15. And most of the kinesiology classes were at 8 o'clock in the morning. So I had to deviate a little bit, be flexible. But um, I was able to make it work with my academic advisor and make sure that I hit all of my prerequisites during my time at Ohio State in, the, in those four years. That's awesome. Thought they made it work. And here you are. And for yeah, your transition, definitely. like from undergrad to grad school, how was that? What was that like? You know, what's really funny about that is like, I, I actually finished my academic coursework. So my exam week was the week immediately before my first day of graduate school. So when I was at Ohio State, we had trimesters. So we finished much later than everybody else that was on that two semester system. So like I had friends getting out the first week of May and here am I here, here I am almost like pushing out past uh, Memorial day weekend for, for exam. So I actually didn't even go to my undergraduate uh, graduation day, which is in the shoe, which is a big deal at Ohio state um, because I had to be back home moving into a, a row house in Baltimore to start class at the university of Maryland, Baltimore. Wow. That's all I have to say. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, okay. So you didn't go to your graduation and you started PT school right away. So when you did start, tell us a little bit about that 
transition in the first semester, were you, you know, already set with, I just came off of undergrad and now I'm transitioning into a doctorate program. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I never really got a chance to jump out of academic mode. So I think that definitely made things a little bit more seamless. Um, I know some people that kind of took a gap year or two and them expressing just some of the challenges of just kind of getting back into the mindset of, uh, of carving out study time and sitting in class and uh, sometimes, honestly, going from making a full-time living to you know, going back to living on a student budget, we can, you know, we can all agree uh, uh, how much different that is. So uh, I think if anything, it just made it a little bit easier for me. I, I didn't really have to change habits much, um, but I do think the, the most challenging part of that first semester was the fact that we were in cadaver anatomy. Um, that in itself was, was definitely a, a, a challenging aspect of PT school for me. So um, other than that, you know, I, I, I didn't have the athletic side of things. So I wasn't juggling practice. Um, but I did actually work all the way through PT school. So I think work almost took the place of what I was doing from a sports standpoint. Um, and it definitely made it seem a little bit more like, uh, like the routine that I was used to while I was at Ohio State. And what did you do while you were working during PT school? Oh, man. I, here's, now we'll definitely get into some of the uh, uniqueness. I, I, <laughs> I will fully admit my, my situation in itself is uh, – is unique. Um, I first worked at the gym, which is not unique. Um, because I had played lacrosse, I did uh, some camps and clinics that was kind of here and there on um, high schoolers and, uh, and, and some of the youth kids like winter breaks and, and summer breaks. Um, I did some personal training and small group training that was uh, kind of in my later years. And then the very, very unique thing is I, I got to play the in the professional lacrosse league for two years while I was going through school um so kind of had a wide variety of different working experiences you could even count the fact that one of my internships was at the eastern shore of Maryland and I actually uh, was working a serving job um after I would finish up my rotation at the acute care while I was there too so that was for a a 13-week block where I would go from BB Medical Center um on the eastern shore here in Delaware and I would go to uh, the lighthouse and, and slash cove, and, and I would be a server. So um, I worked pretty much all the way throughout PT school. I know sometimes that's uh, that's challenging for a lot of people, and I'll be quite honest, it wasn't really uh, wasn't really thought of very highly. And it was actually some people recommended against doing it, especially when we we started PT school. But um, I've always been financially conscious, and uh, I'm not always the biggest conformist. So, um, that was something I felt very, very comfortable knowing that I could, that I, I could juggle both. So, um, you know, the work history there definitely, it was something I just, it was part of who I am. I've had a job since I was 13 and, um, I, I think that it put me in a really, really good spot with regards to some of the financial things that a lot of people have trouble with, um, going through PT school and, uh, after PT school. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really cool that you worked during PT school. And obviously, Gabby and I are big advocates of that. Um, we're, we're doing this during PT school as well. And for after PT school, so then you become a physical therapist. When do you open your practice? Can you kind of take us through that process? 
Yeah, so that was December 2014. Um, you know, I, I had just had such a good experience of a more just cohesive, synergistic medical environment when I was at Ohio State. Um, I think that I also saw that the environment itself, like when, when I remember being on like the training tables at Ohio State, you got the athletic trainer, you got the head PT, like my first mentor, Janine Oman, she's actually still at Ohio State. She's in an AD role. But I mean, I just I remember feeling a lot of people will say this kind of a, about our facilities now, but it felt like cheers. You know, you got all the different people in there. It's a very, very open style format. It's very social. It's something that people almost go to like hang out at. Like it's, it's an enjoyable part of their day where I would see certain PT places and it looked very, very sterile, not very inviting. And I could see how going and interacting with the service that is physical therapy could be viewed to be somewhat, uh, you know, apprehensive. So um, I'd always kind of in the back of my head, man, well, if I can't find it, I'm, I'm going to create it. So I was fortunate to have some relationships through a lacrosse business that I had started right when I graduated uh, graduate school as well um, and rented space between two turf fields at a local indoor sports center. It allowed me to cut overhead costs because I got to share the gym space that was there. Um, and there was a captive audience uh, not too far from from where we would be right in the middle of the two turf fields. So that was my, my first start. I actually convinced uh, one of my buddies uh, who I went to PT school with. He was a year below me to quit his job and be the first employee of the company. And uh, that guy's name is Zach Baker. He's still with us now. He's been kind of my, my right-hand man through it all. And yeah, I mean, that's, it's been, it's been quite the journey. You learn a lot during those first couple of years because you don't go to school for business. You go to school to be a good PT. And in the beginning, we delivered a great service. And over time, we've figured out how to do a lot more to add to the experience. And I think uh, it's, it's safe to say at this point that we're, we're delivering the full uh, client experience when it comes to interacting with rehab to perform. And it goes far beyond just, uh, uh, you know, an, an ideal uh, physical therapy service that's driving good outcomes. That's really amazing. And I absolutely love what you said. If you can't find it, create it. And I think a lot of students need to hear that because we have this idea of, you know, after school, you are, you may have a setting that it's your dream setting and you feel like you, you can't make it there or you don't want to, you know, own your own practice. Um, so if you really want it, you have to create those opportunities for yourself. And I'm so glad that you were able to do that and learn that early on. So in regards to the skills that you didn't learn in PT school, like the business side, did you take any courses um, to learn that? Or was it more of, you know, trial and error through that process? I think it's, Probably three different methods. Uh, one was seeking out mentors. I have always been a huge question person. So when I have questions about things, I don't really have a whole lot of reservations. I am perfectly fine with maybe coming across as not being intelligent because I'm asking so many questions to make sure that I have clarity. So um, I remember being able to ask somebody who really seemed like they had it figured out. Uh, his name is Danny Farrar. He's one of the co-owners of Soldier Fit, which is one of the fastest fitness franchises in the country. Uh, reached out to him and said, hey, I feel like I'm drowning a little bit. I 
don't really know what I'm doing. I know how to deliver good PT, but that's about all I know how to do. And I know there's probably hundreds of other things that I need to be thinking about when it comes to running this business. Um, and through that transparency, he pretty much opened the vault, so to speak. I can remember just frantically scribbling notes for uh, an hour plus during our first encounter. Uh, he's somebody that I would still reach out to to this day and do reach out to this day. Um, and that's just an example of an opportunity for me where you know, I sought out mentorship. I think we hear about mentors a lot. And if you're not actively seeking it out and finding a way um, to get in front of that person, and then ideally, hopefully at some point, um, finding some kind of way of, uh, you know, delivering some kind of reciprocity there, um, that, that mentorship is, is not going to work out. I, I have heard from people who have struggled to find mentors, but I think a lot of it comes to the, to the mentee. But that would be the first aspect. Um, second one, as I mentioned, not knowing what I was doing is just old-fashioned trial and error. Um, I've always been able to fail fast uh, and ideally make quick changes. I don't focus on problems. I am a solutions-driven person. I, you know, and it's on our, our, our company um, onboarding process, and it's one of our values, but I'm a thumbs first, uh, fingers second person. And that goes with uh, making sure that you figure out what you can control first before you try to direct anything externally. Uh, and then the third part is through more formal business-related uh, programs. Um, I did a CEO, CEO accelerator and a growth accelerator through the local small business development center. And then I was fortunate to also be a part of Gold, Goldman Sachs's uh, 10,000 small businesses program here uh, in the Baltimore area that was hosted at Johns Hopkins uh, Carey School of Business. So um, fortunately through each of those three areas, I've been able to just continue to grow in my ability to not only have an environment where a good PT service is delivered, but ideally take care of multiple facets of what I would call uh, a well-functioning and healthy business. And here you are 16 years later. Ah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Ah, um, it, it, it seems like it sometimes, and then sometimes it seems like it's only been like two years, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I graduated in 2011 of May and yeah, I mean, I'm uh what, going into coming up on year nine, I guess, if you look at that, like, yeah, May of 2020, it'll be nine years in the profession, and we just had our five-year anniversary with regards to the company, which pretty pumped about, so, um, yeah, just kind of enjoying the process. That's amazing. I've got a ton of not-so-amazing stories, too, as well. I was going to say, um, can we uh, yeah. dive down that a little bit? <laughs> we want to have both sides, the good and the bad. Yeah. Um, dive into some of the obstacles that came up that you did not expect. Yeah. You know, I mean, gosh, it, it's, I, I think the biggest pro problem period was probably, um, I can take it too. First one, we actually got asked to leave our subleased space. Um, that was the space that we started in. So we got forced to eventually uh, become independent. So our little startup space, we were sharing the gym space. There was another business in there that actually had been bought into by the owner of the Frederick Indoor Sports Center, which was the, uh, you know, indoor facility that we were in. And the ownership there wanted 
there to be a productive back and forth uh, referral network. Myself and, and Zach, who was there, we, we weren't really comfortable with that. And we weren't comfortable with selling to people in a situation where we would just weren't all that comfortable with the referral source. It felt very, very forced. It didn't feel authentic. Uh, and we kind of stuck to our guns and uh, it found us with a request to terminate the lease. We were given a certain time period um, and we got forced to ideally find our, our future model, right? What, what does an independent space look like? Where you buy all the equipment? So we got forced into kind of figuring that out quicker than uh, we would have liked, but uh, we wouldn't be here today if we hadn't had that issue pop up and it didn't end up in a beautiful space up in Frederick. We have 5,000 square feet, um, two full corners with windows. It's really, really close to a lot of uh, very, very accessible areas of Frederick City. Um, so uh, that that hardship definitely ended up turning into a blessing. But I can tell you there was a lot of sleep this nights there. I had to figure out stuff like lease negotiation, uh, applying for actually our, our first loan, you know, an SBA uh sba loan so that was a whole new area business banking some of the things going on behind the scenes with regards to the architectural test fit and um ordering equipment just stuff that you quite honestly yeah you don't go to pt school for that you don't think about those things when you're sitting there and you're just working with somebody one-on-one -on, -one on a table or with equipment that had already been purchased by somebody else so that was a huge period of growth and then I think the other big period where there was a, a lot of struggle and, and we had to learn pretty quickly was when we opened up our second location, there was a six month period where I will be honest, I just didn't know if it was going to work out. We had had a ton of hiccups replicating things behind the front desk because honestly, we just didn't have a lot of systems and processes in place. We didn't fully appreciate all of the steps that we had taken to get to the point where we had one really, really successful location, didn't have things in a very, very uh, replicatable uh, fashion. And we went into two and it was like, oh my gosh, we forgot all of these things that we did over here to make this successful. We got we to gotta backtrack. Um, so there was about a six month period there where I was really unsure. Um, there was some stuff that got botched with regards to insurance contracts. So financially, there were some things that kind of were, were much much less than ideal um so i think those those two periods you know we've had little stuff too where you think you're hiring somebody from the front desk and i mean i've gotten skunked on front desk hires where somebody accepts it literally writes and accepts the job offer and doesn't show up day one um or they work for two days and somehow they end up not showing up again i mean it, it definitely uh definitely some interesting moments there will be some future interesting moments um, but at least at this point, I can say, and I, I've kind of used this analogy more often, um, I used to go into the jungle and have no clue what direction I was going in and get surprises from all angles. Now, at least I'm in, in the jungle a little bit and I can kind of see the light. I know what general direction I'm going in and all of the, all of the surprises are no longer surprises because they're right out in front of me. Nothing is, nothing's sneaking up on us. So um, the, the hiccups or little speed bumps that we hit at this point are much more uh, manageable. And we are uh, doing a really, really good job of forecasting for future problems as we continue to scale. And I think that's uh, allowing us to have a year like we had last year where 
if I look at the, the big picture, the totality of the year, uh, it was a much more uh, streamlined and just smooth year overall, uh, despite a year in which we added, what, 14 employees on top of the 15 that we had a, the, the previous year. And we, you know, doubled our revenue, we doubled our clients served. So, you know, we, we, we were able to thrive and really control growth very, very well. Um, so I, don't, I know I got a little bit uh, sidetracked there, but I always try to take negatives and, and turn them into positives. And just despite some stuff where I, I've definitely gone through very, very stressful periods. I mean, I can tell you too, let's let just talk about starting up a business. Like I remember racking up tons of credit card debt after my reserves got chipped into those first about 13, 14 months before you started to finally go, oh my gosh, the pendulum is starting to swing the other direction. So, uh, you know, it's just a lot of things. You, you, you can only prepare so much, but at the same time, you're always going to hit, I think, some hardships and some challenges that are going to make you second guess, making you question yourself. And with the right intangibles and the right people around you and the right initiative, I think that you, you're going to have the ability to, to ideally come out in a, in, on, on top or come out in a much more positive situation. So you doubled everything this year, your team, your clientele, your business, like that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And how do you manage yeah. all of those people now? So how do you like expand a team like that? What are you looking for? So for all the students listening, maybe they're about to graduate. Like, what are you looking for as somebody expanding their business? Who are you looking for? If I'm talking strictly about the clinical side, because, you know, we have certain dynamics, uh, you know, we've got the clinical side and then we've got the clerical side, the clerical side behind the front desk. I mean, that's an extremely important area. Uh, at this point, we also have a corporate section. So we've had a couple corporate hires over the past two years, people that kind of get shared among all of the locations. But if I'm talking specifically about the PT, the clinical side of things, uh, I can't emphasize how important it is for people to have high level conversational skills, have a ton of emotional intelligence, and to ideally uh, go into a new environment with people that they'll be working with uh, and be able to show themselves uh, well. You know, are you somebody um, that's going to be able to work well with others? Are you somebody who um, has kind of this, uh, you know, sweep the shed mentality, which I'll take from the uh, New Zealand All Blacks book, Legacy. Um, so there are more important intangible and non-PT specific things that I will say that we are looking for that just makes what I think a high level person. And then we are believers that we can always continue to develop your clinical skills, but it is so much harder to take somebody who does not value what the team values and who lacks uh, conversational skills or emotional intelligence, those things take a long time to develop. And a lot of times uh, I'm finding more and more um, people have to be very purposeful and show a certain level of intent to improve in those areas. Those are much more challenging than somebody just memorizing uh, things associated with uh, clinical practice or clinical decision-making. The, transactional experience will occur with a high-level clinician. The transformational experience will occur with a high-level clinician and a high-level person. So uh, those really, really go hand in hand. We try to involve multiple people 
in our company in the hiring process. Uh, that includes front desk people, that includes the PTs themselves, and that includes the corporate team to make sure that everybody is comfortable with a potential hire, uh, but can't emphasize the intangible side enough. A transformational PT is going to be somebody that checks so many boxes before we even go down the clinical rabbit hole um, that, that I think people need to continue to make sure that they're developing while they're in PT school. You hit on such an important point. And for all students, rewind, rewind that last minute and a half because that is so true. And you have, you have to have that conversa those conversational skills and just be able to relate to your patients, like you said, to give them the transformation. And if you can't do that, then you really have to work on that and make that a priority for yourself, especially with applying to future jobs when you graduate. So thank you for hitting on that, first of all. And what advice, what is one piece of advice you would give to a current PT student? I would highly, highly, highly recommend a PT student, especially who has never been in a more hospitality-focused job, to seek one out while they're in PT school. You could view this as serving, you could view this as bartending, you could view this as personal training, but something where people are coming and they're expecting a certain service, and you're also going to expect a wide variety of different clientele. In the PT world, we do not have the luxury of choosing all of our clients. The better you get, you might be able to be a little bit more selective, but when you're a new grad, you're going to take anybody that's walking through the door. And your ability to mirror and mesh with somebody who walks in through the door is the single most important part of them choosing to commit to carving time out of their day to commit to a mutually agreed upon plan of care that ideally is going to drive ideal outcomes. So no matter how intelligent you think you are, if that person does not enjoy being with you during that time block, they don't enjoy talking to you, they don't feel like you've been listening to them, it really doesn't matter how intelligent you are, they will not find the value in carving out time in their day to come see you to have the deliverable outcomes that you wish them to experience. That's really unique advice that we actually haven't heard yet. Like people go into some kind of hospitality-based work. And I think it is extremely valuable. Students listening, like take that to heart. And can we go down that clinical rabbit hole for a second? So if we think clinically, what would you say is something that your business, your clinics, what is something that you guys really value? Kind of what is your outline? And also, are you more cash-based insurance? How does that work? We are insurance. Uh, I will just get that out of the way now. I won't touch on that a whole lot. Um, I just think in terms of wanting to make a change in terms of how people view PT, what PT looks like in the marketplace, and being able to make sure that our service is as inclusive as possible, uh, we will always stay within an insurance model. Getting back to the clinical side of things, I think we could either look at the initial assessment 
or our follow-up time blocks. Uh, but I think the biggest thing that people need to figure out is the principles in which they are going to operate. Not focusing too much on methods, but having principles that will carry with them through each individual and then knowing which methods are going to fall under that umbrella of the principles that you're operating off of for that person that you're working with on that given day. Um, principles are few, methods are many, and I'm sure that I stole that from somewhere else. But without principles, I think it's very, very challenging to do things in a framework uh, or with processes that allow you to have repeatable outcomes and ideally allow you to grow because you can look back at the principles in which you're operating off of uh, and be able to see some kind of, okay, hey, this is working for me, it's not working for me. Um, but if you're just focused on like a manual technique or an exercise that you're doing or this new way of doing it, right, I've done it all. I guess, you know, SFMA, FMS, ART, we've got the new FRC thing, we got PRI, we got dry needling, we got manual therapy, all that stuff, I would argue, is methods um, and they could all fall under a bigger umbrella and some of the principles that I think people should uh, kind of peel back layers on but um, yeah I, 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 I think that if I were to offer up that bit of advice it is finding what principles truly govern how you view uh, the human body or how you're viewing the human experience in terms of what's going on for them and what kind of outcomes and things you're working towards. So um, we'll call it principles, phases, and processes. And they all kind of go in like a, uh, you know, uh, principles obviously higher up and phases, and then uh, your processes will be under, uh, kind of underneath that. But um, yeah, I know a little, went a little, little bit of tangent there, but I think too often people are gonna focus on methods and not some of the big picture framework that their, their critical thinking skills operate off of. Definitely. The critical thinking skills, I'm going to be honest, that's a challenge like in PT school because we're so focused on, okay, we're learning all of this material um, and trying to put it all together is, is a work in progress. So I appreciate that you even brought that up because students seem to forget that, including myself. Um, just it's hard to come up with that and kind of develop it as we grow as clinicians into being a clinician. God, we're not there yet. <laughs> I, it, it is extremely challenging. Uh, and I think, you know, being in PT school, you're managing a lot of different things. I mean, admittedly, I can think back to PT school and it's like, you're going through some of your blocks and to be quite honest, your interest level is just not there. But yeah. at the same time, like, let's also respect the fact, hey, we got to pass boards. So we need mm -hmm. to have a certain amount of awareness and you know, expertise in these areas that we're not extremely passionate about, then we're also trying to focus on what we are passionate about to make sure that we can hit the ground running in our respective, you know, area of the industry of choice. So, yeah, I mean, it's, PT school is one of the ultimate juggling acts, but I, I, I think, at least speaking from personal standpoint, you know, the fact that I, I worked all the time growing up, that I was a three sport athlete through high school, managing things wasn't necessarily a struggle for me as I was going through that, but I definitely could appreciate how um, at PT school, you were managing all of these different things, 
um, that maybe you, you weren't used to allocating your time accordingly, that it could definitely be extremely challenging. And we talked about this a little bit before um, we actually started recording, but I think this is um, important to bring up that you have had students come through your clinic before. And can you just share a little bit about what that's been like and who has kind of come through um, and where they've been from around the world? Absolutely. Um, we started doing that very, very early on, taking students. Um, we're all, we, we recognize two things. One, the more that we get students from the community into uh, our business, the more that we're exposing people from our hometown or our home area to a potentially amazing profession, right? So we have high school students and college students that will come in during various times through the year. High school students with our relationships with the uh, guidance counselors or athletic directors, uh, college students either with the uh, heads of certain areas of certain universities or just kids looking to get hours for PT school. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say kids, they're 18 to 22. Um, young people who are trying to get hours for PT school uh, and then we have D our DPT student internships that are anywhere from eight to 13 weeks. We've had people as far uh, north as Buffalo, as far down south as Miami, uh, all the way out to Texas. And then we've actually had an international student from the University of Melbourne out in Australia. So uh, it's something we're going to make a big push for here in 2020. Um, I brought somebody on who's serving a role in, as a special projects coordinator. Uh, and one of the big things that she's going to be looking at doing is ideally locking down um, as many PT uh, internship contracts as possible uh, to continue to drive people into this environment that are, uh, you know, high achievers. They, 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 there's going to be certain things, and we've already been able to get a little bit more selective, um, but there's going to be certain things that having a little bit more of a national reach is only going to allow us to um, continue to filter high quality people in here for our internships uh, and ideally other uh, opportunities as the company continues to grow. That is so amazing. And for all the students out there, you know, really, really take everything that Josh is saying, you know, seriously, because this is so important as a student and to really, you know, mold how, how you want to be as a student and then also as a future clinician. So yeah, those are really important things. And for people who want to reach out to you on uh, social media, because we 100% know there's going to be people reaching out after this episode, where can they find you? Uh, on Instagram, you can reach out to me at Dr. Josh Funk, and then email at Dr. Funk at Rehab to Perform. Those probably would be the two best avenues uh, to reach out to me directly. If you want to learn more about our business, head to www.rehabtoperform.com. And that is uh, two as in the number two. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Josh. We greatly appreciate it. It's been a, it's been a blast for us. Absolutely. No, I just appreciate the opportunity to ideally, you know, Sharing perspective, I think, is just so important, and I, I love the podcasting world right now because it allows, allows people to have a quick and easy digest, or, or yeah, quick, quick and easy way to digest information and, and different perspectives that ideally will kind of help 
mold their perspectives, right? It'll, it'll shed, shed new light and maybe they do stuff a little bit differently. Maybe it creates a new relationship. I actually have somebody who I would consider, um, I, I, I am their mentor and he heard me on a podcast and he seeks me out regularly and we talk and I, I just enjoy our relationship so much. So uh, it's not only beneficial to the people that are, you know, listening to the podcast, but also people who are on the podcast or be able to get in front of other people. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it works both ways. So it's been, it's been pretty special. Yeah, we really appreciate it. And we cannot wait to see what is in store for you and rehab to perform and your team over this next year, 2020, new decade. And uh, we'll definitely have to keep in touch. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, if you're at any of the events like this year, I don't know, like CSM or Next or any of that stuff, definitely let me know. Thanks for listening to Gratitude, the grad school guide for student physical therapists. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our Instagram and Facebook page linked in the description.